Ian Hull, thank you so much for joining me. You're a real leader in the Estates Bar. Um, I've been following you for years and without your contribution to the Estates community, I think we'd all be in a worse off position. Uh, you were called to the bar in 1990 and you founded Hull & Hull in 1998. And it's since grown to really the leading firm, uh, Estates firm, I think, uh, in Ontario. Uh, so much so there's Facebook groups with Estates lawyers and people ask questions there and uh, people bring in different uh, sources and I would say the blogs from Hull and Hull, Hull, and Hull have the weight of almost statutes. People uh, post them and that really ends the conversation. So there, there's that, there's the output that you uh, give and uh, the teaching. Um, I also try my best to attend your weekly classes on Thursday and there's also, uh, I end them obviously with some knowledge gained but a feeling of oh there's so much more i wish i could uh, hear and learn from you and uh, you know it brings me back every every week so to speak and again uh, the mentorship that you give the younger lawyers is really um, unparalleled in the estates community um, just a personal background i like to ask is how you came to study law and um, you know what happened before your call in 1990 what really prompted you to pursue this career well, thank you for all those kind remarks, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, what really, uh, I, I started to pursue the idea of, of uh, getting into law was, uh, I was a history major, and I went to Western and enjoyed history, but I wasn't sure that I could uh, uh, take that on as a career choice. Uh, I had a father who, I'm one of five kids, I had a father who was a lawyer, and uh, none of us were all that interested in law throughout growing up, but uh, I sort of morphed into it, and uh, and like many of us, unfortunately, at the end of your first degree, you sort of look around and you wonder, what am I going to do next? And law was uh, an option, and I was lucky enough to get into law school and never looked back. Mm -hmm. And then what did you do uh, after law school? I mean, regarding articles and you called to the bar in 1990, from 1990 to 1998, what kind of experiences did you have? Sure. So I, um, I, I first uh, had a great opportunity. I, I, my first uh, job was two years working at a firm called Kosky Minsky, worked in the construction litigation department and did commercial litigation work, uh, really uh, got exposure to the world of litigation. I would say a rough and tumble world. The construction lean work is not for the faint of heart. You're constantly counting the number of days to make sure you haven't missed a lean period, and it's pretty high stress work. Uh, but having said that, I worked there for two years, and then my father was counsel at a firm in downtown Toronto doing estate work. He'd been doing it since the 50s, but uh, I, uh, I thought, you know, uh, I enjoyed the litigation, and he was on his own and was. Uh, came to me and said, look, you know, why don't you come work for me? After two years of litigation experience, I realized I wanted to stay litigating. And uh, what a great opportunity to work with my dad. So uh, in 92, I started working with my dad until he passed away. So I had uh, almost 20 years working with my dad, uh, day in and day out, uh, enjoying, um, you know, just the, the learning that I got and received from him was uh, is pretty special. I mean, a father-son is, is pretty neat and I got an opportunity to learn at a, from a different lens uh, but uh, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's that's really incredible the, the importance of uh, mentorship so to speak. I, I must just say that my intro remarks were very abbreviated. Um, you've, uh, you're an author of uh, many books and 
Um, I mean, when I was doing my rounds with the different estates law firms in Toronto, I discovered that in one way or another, they all originated from Hull and Hull. So uh, what, what's your feeling about that? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, very, uh, I'm very proud of our firm, but, but I'm also proud of those who want to do what they want to do. And, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to work with my dad and uh, work up and practice an area in a boutique environment and, uh, and thrive and enjoy my work every day. So uh, although I love all of the people I work with, I also uh, appreciate and respect people who want to try different opportunities and different uh, entrepreneurial aspects of the law. So yeah, we've had some uh, we've had some great opportunities to work with people who have then gone on to create their own firms, uh, and and yet you know we have saw some real uh, long-term uh, uh, lawyers with us too that I've worked with. Uh, I one of the lawyers I work with I worked with uh, back in the Koskiminski days. So um, we've I've got a long history uh, within the firm and also growth uh, around the firm. Right, it's really incredible. And I mean, people who spend time at Hull & Hull uh, are, are known to really be experts in a way. So can you talk about the importance of mentorship? You mentioned your father mentoring you and also mentorship uh, the younger generation of lawyers now that you're a mentor yourself. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's true. I, I, I got mentored uh, by a very special person in my world, of course. and. You know, he, he started off, I was lucky. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't the economic uh, pressures because uh, when we first started, he had lots of work and um, passed on lots of it to me, but, but also expected me to be asking him questions. Uh, basically said to me in the first two years, don't talk in a meeting and listen and learn. And, uh, and, and, you know, we'd leave the meeting and we'd have great discussions. Uh, I, uh, I used to drive him to, to and from work and not, not because I wanted to work those hours, which were great hours, but uh, I had young kids and I, we'd talk the whole way there and back. And, uh, and that was, uh, you know, little things like that. But I use that as an illustration because mentoring people who have the uh, experience and the knowledge, um, I always say to people, you know, look for opportunities to soak the information out of them instead of just the conventional nine to five period of time when people are frantic on phone calls and meetings and so on, maybe pick an opportunity like that. Uh, I mean, obviously driving your, your dad back and forth to work doesn't work for everyone, but it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that uh, the mentorship, we, people like, well, like you as, as and I do, we like people, we like working with people and we love giving mentoring uh, guidance if, we're, if, if asked. Uh, it's just a question of finding the time and energy and sometimes, but mentoring is such a profound part of the law that um, for me anyway, uh, what, what good is it to me to just sit down and uh, put my head down and act for clients and quietly uh, come home at night and say hi to my kids and none of which know anything about what I did in the day. Um, uh, it, it's so much more rewarding when you get to turn that around and, and work with people and then the collaboration. And the last thing I would say about mentoring is, is that I learn something new every single time I mentor someone because better ideas come from collaboration. And so I, I you know, it's funny, mentoring always is perceived to be a one-way street and it's, it's just not. I mean, for me, literally, I, I, you know, and I, and I even used to go for, so far as, you know, that the exchanges with clients, like I'll, I'll say, this is what we're thinking of doing. And, you know, I was on a call last night and my client said, well, what about this? And I said, like, you know what, that's a great idea. And, and, I, and I needed that sort of feedback. I, I think the direction was in the right direction. I, I, I was confident with my advice. And then there was a twist. Well, that's from a client level. Well, you learn so much more and can gain so much better uh, insight 
if you're collaborating. And so I, 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 I think the, the term mentoring is too one way. I, I like to collaborate. Very nice. So, I mean, you and uh, I guess your partner, Jordi, are great mentors. Um, you know, so much contribution to the, the younger community. And I mean, when talking to estates lawyers, the public doesn't necessarily know that estates is divided up into at least three main categories, maybe more, but you got the litigation, the planning and the administration. I, I kind of hang out in the latter two of those. And, and you're one of the rare people who are considered experts, even a certified specialist in estates law, but the experts in all three of those. How do you straddle those three? And I know uh, litigation is the main part, but uh, you know I want to talk about everything. Such a broad expertise. Well, you know, it, it's a it's a, it's an interesting question, and one that uh, you know we're lucky enough to get into a specialized area, and you and I both live and breathe that that kind of a practice. But you know, I learned early on that uh, to do any one part of the area of practice it's better to have a deep understanding of the other aspects of it. So I don't draw as many wills as I used to personally, but I was drawing wills early in my career. So I knew about that feeling of intake and I knew about the feelings of what clients were going through. I knew about what a lawyer should be or shouldn't be in my mind to doing in, a, in an intake uh, scenario. And, and then I can impart that into a contentious situation where, you know, sometimes I find state litigators in particular, they get very judgy about the solicitor's side work because they're just looking at it from a critical standpoint after the fact. And it's always 2020 hindsight. Well, so I, I spent a lot of time early in my career learning how to run an estate administration, how to take it, do wills, and how to run a lawsuit that, that was contentious. And by doing that, uh, obviously heavily weighted toward the, the litigation in my personal practice, I was exposed to all aspects and it, and it just, you know, the area isn't that big that you can't at least see some of that exposure. But how important is it to, in my view, it's so important to be sitting across the table from someone if you're litigating over them, knowing, you know what, I did a will where I cut a kid out and I knew what I did in that situation. And I can judge the behavior like a judge is going to be judging that behavior. So that's part of the reason why I focused so broadly. And I think it's, in my view, my own personal view, is it's a mistake to eliminate any aspect of the estate's bar work to uh, from your practice if you can avoid it. But look, Jordy's a classic. He, he, he put his gowns down and he's not going into court anymore. And uh, that's, uh, that's great. But he was running in, doing a few contested passive accounts, doing some of the stuff where you dust the gown off just to get a sense of, how the judge is going to manage things. So um, it may not work for everyone. And some people are in firms where they have exclusively have to stay within their very small box. But that's where I turn around to go to continue legal, educa legal education. And I, I, at our firm, I say to people, I want you to go to solicitor seminars. I don't want to hear about state litigation seminars. Those seminars, we can have them at breakfast. Uh, and I mean, I'm overstating it. Obviously, some of them are fantastic. But I want you to go and hear about what's what's an estate administration do and what take what do you take what efforts take to do an estate administration just to give yourself enough information to guide your practice mm -hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm i'm on the planning side more but i try to understand as much as i can from the litigation side as well like you say and it's funny as i would consider myself a relatively younger lawyer and um one of uh, call it my referral sources are 
more senior estates lawyers that decide that they don't want to do, let's say, blended families or cutting out a kid like you mentioned. And, you know, on the one hand, there's access to justice. Everybody needs a, a wills and estates lawyer. But on the other hand, certain people just decline to act under for certain people, certain circumstances. So, I mean, two questions based on that. Is there any advice about just um, blanketly avoiding certain cases, certain people? And why do these, like, am I getting tripped up by taking on certain files, uh, blended families, let's say? Or is that a justified policy to reject certain cases? Well, I, I think that's a, uh, it's a really, really good question because, you know, the access to justice element of it is so important. It's getting more and more important, certainly outside the GTA, especially uh, where even getting uh, access to a lawyer to do a simple, not simple, I never use the word simple will, but to do a will uh, is, is becoming problematic. Um, I, I would say this, first of all, obviously, personal lifestyle choices prevail and people want to keep their workload as they see fit and they don't want to be at night worrying about everything and mm -hmm. uh, but but the, you know I, I don't I, like when I first started practicing I took in you know small estates uh, stuff that was going to be hard grinding and my dad would always say to me look you don't get these files because of the easy ones the easy ones are out there and they're getting done and they're not getting referred out because they're easy and um, and so, you know, I chose a path of of grinding through some of those more difficult ones. But boy, do you learn. And, and you're interesting to say to you, you know, you know, is it justified? Well, of course, it's justified to 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 say no to someone. That's your own personal practice choice. But but how much you learn when you get into a complex, even not even just asset wise, but just a complex family relationships uh, planning situation um is stuff that you know is, is 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 knowledge that you 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 can hang on to forever but it also is what we get like like we you know you call it you've got a spidey sense well the spidey sense comes from the fact that yeah i've done seven or eight of these and i saw where the bobbing and the weaving needed to be done um so uh, you know i'm more of the view of just saying look it's you know take go to people if you need help ask around get the assistance you need uh to get through it but uh you know saying no is uh you know, from a business model standpoint, if you're a referring lawyer and you're sending a file out, you don't want to hear about it again. You want it to be, you don't want it to bounce back. And so when I get a file, it's, and I'm obviously going to take it and then I'd say yes. And, and, and then you take the good and the bad with that. Um, and if it takes a little bit of extra effort or a learning curve on a new area, uh, I got to do it. I got to roll my sleeves up and learn it. Mm -hmm. So a kind of continuation of that uh, train of thought, that question is no matter how good a planning lawyer is and how you know, diligent they, they do and they ask the right questions, is there any foolproof way to avoid litigation or is it just certain circumstances, you know, the world's going to be challenged? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, there really, of course, there isn't in a sense that, uh, you know, the problem is, you know, when I, and I'm, I'm an old man now, but, but you know, I'm almost 60 years old. And, and when I first started practicing, you would be into a will challenge. You had the conventional five fraud, lack of a testamentary capacity, undue influence and so on. Those would be the core challenges. Now they're probably 15 uh, twists and turns and proprietary estoppel and, and, and not, not all of it is fine. It's all good. And it brings with it, you know, it's, it's come from different jurisdictions, the U.S. in, in particular, uh, you know, uh, U.K. brought in proprietary estoppel in terms of brought it forward as a, as a, as a type of claim. 
Um, so I would say this, that, you know, from my perspective, I always, you know, I always say no when I know I don't know it. <laughs> so, so if I'm going to get myself into a scenario of the law that I just simply can't support or I don't have people around me to support, I'll walk away from it or I'll make sure I bring in the right team to do it. But, you know, from my perspective anyway, I, I think um, the practice of law is, is extremely complex, but the substantive elements of an estate practice are manageable. And that's why I've enjoyed it so much all my career. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, about the work you do, there's there's so much that goes into it, but you're dealing with uh, very intense emotions from both sides, uh, sibling, uh, again, emotions that uh, emerge in these disputes. Um, is there any tip to keep yourself somewhat detached and not involved uh, personally in these cases? Yeah, it's a tough one because, uh, first of all, uh, you know, I'm empathetic to these cases and, and I've and I've done this for now 31 years and I probably like to think I've heard a lot of the stories, but I haven't heard them all. And every day I'll hear one, I go, whoa, I hadn't seen someone do that before. Uh, so uh, I think I think to that extent that there, there is a a way to manage it. I mean, you carry the burdens on your shoulders of the clients and that's just the reality when they come to see you, certainly in a contentious litigation environment. Uh, so is there, you know, you, you add that to your shoulders. How, how I manage it personally is uh, I try to be patient and I try to let, like anything, I'll let it cycle a little bit. Even if it's a, you know, it's, it's right after the death of a, of a loved one, the, the emotions are gonna be higher. And I assess that in that context. Uh, if I'm on a call with a client and things get heated or get you know, emotional on the call, uh, I'd like to let it run its course a little bit and talk it through a little bit therapeutic in a way, um, spending the time with the client, working it through, because, um, you know, the truth is you, you can't feel what they're feeling, uh, but you can at least manage your behavior in what can be a hotly emotional, threatening time for both you and your client and uh, and so i i just keep trying to be as patient as i can and patience has really been what succeeded in keeping the temperature down on these hotly contested situations but do you take some of this stuff personally it's you know i'd be i'd be i'd be untruthful to say that i don't sometimes get a little uh, personally involved in files, of course you do. You you, you learn to you know uh, enjoy your clients. You, you you like them so very much sometimes. I mean, I've got long-term clients even in litigation, but in non-litigation that you know they're friends and they're important in my life. And so yes, you you tend to gear up uh, some of your emotions on on those situations. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it it must be difficult to deal with all that and. Another aspect to your practice, I mentioned the litigation, planning, admin, the, I guess, fourth aspect, which could tie it all together in a way, is mediation. You're also a well-known, respected estates mediator. Um, I'm trying to get into mediation. I just did a course about mediation and realized how, you know, also intensely emotional it could be, how you have to straddle between these two parties. Can you talk a bit about your mediation experience and uh, a little bit, a little bit about what it takes to resolve these conflicts. Sure. So, yeah, I, I love mediating cases if I if I can. And uh, I guess where I, one of the things that always surprises me, I'm I'm old enough to say that mediation is a brand new 
area of our practice. When I first started practicing law, mediation was not uh, a thing, <laughs> literally. I remember graduating from law school at Windsor with uh, our gold medals with Alan Stitt and a great friend of mine. And he went to Harvard after he graduated and did a mediation master's uh, with the leading mediation training in the world at the time. And, and we all thought, but what's he doing? I mean, he could be a Supreme Court of Justice, Canada clerk, he could do anything he wants. And he went to do that. And of course he was way ahead of the curve and is, is one of Canada's best mediators. But, um, you know, I, I, I so I, I knew once I started to practice law that you're essentially a mediator. And I, and I do feel personally, I think the pro profession has got a bit lazy on the exchange between counsel to resolve problems. I, I think we tend to now rely on mediators to jump into the process more than than it used to be we were just forced to get on a call and say okay i get that point but what about this point and those kinds of discussions and not to say they don't happen but they i think there's a ability for us to do more of that and i i say to my associates all the time pick up the phone and create the rapport with the council to uh, to help take some of the temperature down but uh but as to me my personal mediation practice uh I, uh, I actually went down to the Harvard course. They have a they have a great course down there, pre-COVID, of course. Many years ago, I went down and spent a week getting training there, and it changed my life. In that, a that's the course I, I just did. Now it's on Zoom, so I just did that course yeah. as well. See, and it's fantastic. It's yeah. a game changer, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so that's great. I'm glad that they're they're still running it on Zoom. Uh, you won't. I mean, it's helped my practice immensely, and it's also helped my mediation practice. Again, I think as a mediator. Uh, there's two things I always think about when I'm mediating a case. One is is that uh, be listener, be a good listener, for sure, and empathy empathy is important. Uh, but also be a leader, and lead discussions and lead, uh, and at some points, uh, you know, lead your thoughts. Uh, I, there's all sorts of schools of thoughts on how to mediate. I, my personal style is at some point I will uh, give some of my own views. And, uh, and, and that's in part because I think people retain me because they're expecting that at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, it'll be the same for you as you build your mediation practice. You've got an expertise. People want to know what your thoughts are in the context of the facts that they've given you. Uh, but boy, is it a, you know, my final thought on mediation is that it's such a crucial part of practice and it has game changed disputes. I mean, when I started a file, in the, in the early 90s on a will challenge, it was a two and a half to three year process. It's now on average somewhere between a year and a year and a half. Now, COVID's blown that out of the water a little bit, but you know, it, we shrunk it almost in half by getting to mediation quickly, using the core facts upon what you need to rely on and looking for results as opposed to looking for process. It's incredible. It's an important part, and uh, I think it's growing because of the reasons you've mentioned, and it's an important part of the process. Definitely. Um, in some, with some of my previous guests, also uh, estates lawyers, I, I just uh, to name two, uh, Don Carr and uh, Professor Usterhoff, I asked them the question, so in your long careers, what has changed? And both said, not much, actually. Uh, but in the past year, I don't think... Uh, now, that was in 2020 I interviewed them. I think this year they would have a different answer. And I'll, I'll ask you the same question, obviously, uh, you know, spurred on by uh, Doug De uh, Downey, our Attorney General. Uh, there's been a lot of significant changes and perhaps more to come. So can you comment on the changes that have been made? And uh, then we'll get to after that what changes you suggest going forward. 
Sure. Well, I think, I mean, I, as I say, I think mediation practice changed the, the practice of contentious matters and non-contentious matters. I mean, a lot of our work, and as I know yours as well, is you get into situations where you have a semi-contentious situation or a semi-contentious administration or a semi-contentious aspect of the estate uh, work. Uh, and and that's, uh, that, that, that's the facilitating the collaboration and mediation has changed things tremendously in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we, we can't, shout out Doug Downey enough uh, from his efforts. He, he's been as important as an attorney general as anyone at going back to Roy McMurtry days where, where Roy brought in you know, profound amen amendments to the uh, whole area of estates. Um, and, you know, Doug Downey has focused on some legislative changes, but really focused on process changes. And that's really what I think matters. Um, I would disagree a little bit that uh, things haven't changed that much on the litigation side, even over the last 20 years because of mediation. Uh, but I would entirely agree substantively that we really have been in a vacuum substantively for too long. But um, I think we're, we're moving out of that a little bit. But again, you know, the problem is, and, and I, you know, I was on a call recently with a client on a terrible elder abuse situation and, and the elder law problems that are crafted, created these days. Uh, or we're always there, but are, we, we are completely insufficiently prepared to address elder law abuse uh, in Canada. And uh, it's been that way all through my practice, but it's obviously getting accelerated and COVID has brought it through the roof. But yet really there has been no meaningful progress uh, in terms of, of, of streamlining uh, the, a solution to a, an obvious elder law environment uh, where abuse may be occurring. And I don't blame uh, anyone who's in the system. I blame the fact that government just isn't paying attention to that issue as a priority. And I will say Doug Downey has brought some priority to the substantive uh, work, but the elder law is a more complicated area because we, we, need, some, we need some federal assistance to the criminal code as well. And we're going to need some provincial assistance so it adds another layer of we need a lot of people interested in it uh, but i will say that the most recent changes that doug downey has brought forward is is, an, is a welcome uh, i think the process will not will ever be any it will always continue to get better the substantive i have to be realistic i mean this has been a priority this has been a great attorney general it doesn't always last forever uh, so we're working hard and, and, and with a group of lawyers uh, to try to continue to push forward with opportunities to just see if we can continue to tweak things to keep moving forward. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, you know, substantial compliance, which just came in, was a, it's an illustration where all the other provinces almost entirely have, 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 have created that, that opportunity for wills. And we finally did. And those are sorts of things, the uh, revocation by marriage, uh, those kinds of changes. Um, those were, I think, low hanging fruit. And I think it was great that Doug Downey's brought those in. And I'm, I'm sure he's ready to continue. And he said he is ready to continue with this progress. But um, we'll have to see where the political reality sets in. Uh, but we, 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 we're thankful of the changes already. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, I mean, you, you mentioned that there's a lot of need for change as well. Uh, go into as much or as little detail as you want, but what are the top items on the agenda? If you were Attorney General today, what would you do regarding elder law or anything for that matter? Well, I think, I mean, elder law is a bit of a pet peeve for me right now because I think uh, what we have to do is create a situation. Like The difficulty with elder abuse is that, uh, A, uh, the process is cumbersome, but B, the, the judges aren't equipped 
to deal with these situations where you're into that gray area of capacity or you've got one child who is dominating the parent uh, and the other child has to come in and, and, and take steps. Um, the, the hard and fast rules that are created there, for example, you need to have a fine even capacity to uh, get a guardianship order. Maybe some of those things should be revisited. And quite frankly, there's been some great law reform already on this, the Law Reform Commission, uh, law, law Commission of Ontario. And I wasn't on that subcommittee, but uh, worked very hard and has created some really uh, tangible illustrations of how we could move forward with some elder law uh, legislation. Um, you know, th then coming back to uh, the other area, the, uh, the practices that is, is that, you know, efficiencies are being built into the, the practice of the law, but um, there needs to be a balancing. I mean, the rules with respect to wills and estates have been around for 600 years, Magna Carta kind of stuff uh, for a reason. And so I also don't want to be rushing too fast to the finish line on some of these amendments that are being talked about, where I think we, uh, you know, there is a good reason to keep things uh, sort of the way they, they are. Uh, but you know, I, here's an easy illustration. I think there is, we're way past the time to, for wet signatures. I mean, wet signatures on a will is, I think, is it's dinosaur time uh, with the technology the way it is. We can prevent fraud and we can do all of the things that in the 1500s they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why they had to have two people witness it. Um, I, I wouldn't mind rushing to that end line on that on that element of the practice and, and but you know, and I've spoken to Doug Downey personally about this. I mean, I get that there is some resistance to that kind of a dramatic step. And so what what I like to do is when I when I see opportunities and this has come up and uh, certainly with made with the legislation, look at other jurisdictions, see what they've done, see where the problems have been created and try to tweak it to make it fit Ontario. And uh, and we've done that with made. We, we can do that with wet signatures. I think those are the kinds of innovation that the public needs and that we can do and with, with uh, comfort and without exhausting the profound importance of these rules, which are around for good reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Uh, electronic wills, uh, maybe that'll you know, be joining us in, in the near future. Um, I want to ask you, Ian, about your immense uh, courtroom experience. I mean, you, you've appeared at every level of, of uh, courts. Um, maybe you can focus a bit on your Supreme Court experience, but, you know, what, what's your feelings or preparation or kind of going into um, a regular court in Toronto on University Avenue versus a Court of Appeal versus the Supreme Court? How do you approach um, those appearances differently? Well, you know, it, it, my Supreme Court appearance was uh, was life changing, uh, for sure. And and I didn't I didn't it was recently recent in my career. So I had uh, wished, uh, you know, I'd done it sooner. I would have been a, I'd be a better lawyer for having done it sooner because of what I, what you go through for that experience. Uh, you know, I always harken back. My dad, I think, was in the Supreme Court of Canada over 25 times. And, uh, and in those days, it was just a thing you did. We just added to the list. So that's another appeal. We're going to walk over there. And, uh, and so the fact that I got there once was, uh, was a great experience uh, and, and, and really uh, life-changing. There's nothing more daunting than having that panel, of a full panel looking down at you. And you're thinking to yourself, 
you know, I just scraped through law school. I, I, what do I know? Like, this is, this is a bunch of really smart people. And then to the right, you've got 25 clerks who are all gold medalists at all the law schools. So you're, uh, you, you, you can't reenact the terror, uh, again. Uh, but, uh, having said that it, it was obviously a tremendous experience, but, but one of the things that I, uh, had refocused on when I was, here the Supreme Court of Canada and, and now have been included in my practice now is, is that um, you uh, at that level you are just ready to answer questions they don't care about your pitch you, you they want you you know you can weave your pitch in but they just you have to be ready for questions and um, I think that's changed my practice certainly at the Court of Appeal level and and if I ever go back to the Supreme Court of Canada I'll be ready for that aspect of it uh, but it, what it's allowed me to do at, at the at the superior court level, where I'm at most of 99% of the time, is be anticipating what are the questions in the minds of the judge. They'll give you the time to make your submission at the superior court level. Uh, but what has helped me is is that my focus is now much more fine-tuned on what is bothering the judge. They'll hear the story. I'll get the story in, or they'll have seen the story through the factum and so on. Uh, but what would be bothering the judge? Uh, and in a sense, what questions would the judge like to ask if they were more like at the Supreme Court level where they have expectation is, is that you're just going to get asked the questions? What is going through the judge's mind? And so that's helped me tremendously. Uh, I, I will say it is a different game. I, I came through a month over a month long trial and right in the depths of COVID and I'm about to go into another long trial this fall. It is a very different uh, advocacy game on Zoom to do a trial. But um, uh, I learned enough to get through the first one and I'll get through this one. Uh, long trials on Zoom is a completely new ball game. Just uh, to follow up on that, is it you know, as efficient, is it effective at all? Can a trial or a mediation whatever the case may be, be conducted over Zoom? Or do you feel, uh, you know, a dis disabled because of that? Limited? Well, I think mediation, yes, 100%. I, I actually think mediation is, is, you know, enhanced over Zoom at some level. Uh, I'm not as fussed about mediation. I'll mediate uh, over Zoom, for, you know, almost any time. And when we come back full time, I think there's still a nice tactile element of mediation. As a mediator, I still liked to be able to sit them in, in the room and look them in the eye a little more. But uh, at trial, um, what, what's ha what in my view is it, it's it's good and bad, like anything, right? Uh, the efficiencies are there. You can't run a long trial without a team behind you because you're calling up documents in a pace that is rapid fire compared to at a, at a regular trial where you would say book six tab 23 the judge would open it and look at it now you're just going boom document number so and so boom 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 so the pacing on the on the evidence side is 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 much different but uh i will my personal view is it's advantage witness on the cross it's very difficult to cross-examine on a trial uh, it's not impossible, uh, and I've had successes and failures. Don't get me wrong, but I find that is the uh, the tougher uh, skill mm -hmm. to develop. And and some people are getting better at it than others, quicker than others. But uh, all in all, you know, I mean, it, it's not about complaining at all because I don't care. I, I if that's the system, I'll work within the system. Uh, it's more about making sure that I've, I personally like to identify where are going to be my personal weaknesses in a, in a Zoom trial 
what do I have to build up on? And, and my personal exposure is getting better at cross on a camera. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot, uh, lot of room for growth and development there within the whole Zoom framework. Um, just to shift a little bit, uh, one of my last uh, questions for you is uh, you speak to uh, lawyers in other areas, criminal law, for example, and they say, don't become a criminal lawyer. If some, yeah. if someone was just starting out, uh, you know, graduated law school, got called to the bar, and is deciding whether to be an estates lawyer or a criminal lawyer, real estate lawyer, whatever the case may be, what would you advise them to pursue estates or not? And then follow up to that is once that once they've made that decision, what kind of advice would you give them to excel as an estates lawyer? Well, I guess my own. Uh, personal view is is that uh, if, if I had someone ask me that question I and I do say this from time to time when I'm asked I always say this I would become an estate planning lawyer right now uh, and and I say that and, I, and I'm so proud of you and your career because you have rocketed into this area of estate planning and wills drafting at a at a professional level that that parallels no one uh, I can tell you because you had the guts to jump into uh, the area uh, coming from you know good exposure to it before but but you had the guts to jump into the area uh, and, and so I would tr would want to turn around that question on you on how to succeed because you have succeeded but uh, why I say that is this I, I do think uh, the profession has lost uh, so many estate planning lawyers to retirement and, and death and and so on uh, that uh, I think that the area if you're going to get into estates that I personally believe the area of growth uh, is is estate planning and, and wills drafting uh, but I also think it's an area of um, it's sustainable uh, you're you're not in high conflict every day you have to be ready to be in high conflict every day uh, if you're going to be an estate litigator uh, and it's hard to know whether or not you want to be in high conflict every day for the next 30 or 40 years when you're, in, you know, you start your practice. Um, I still love what I do and I still do 80% of my practice is litigation. So I'm still in high conflict every day, but it's kind of dumb luck. I, I didn't know I would be. My dad always shied me away from the estate planning work. He didn't think I was well suited for it. And he might've been right. Uh, you know, you, the, 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 the ability to have attention to detail and the patience and the uh, systemizing of your practice and the, and the ability to be available to clients on a, on a literally a moment's notice in a sense, like a true co corporate commercial lawyer at the end of the phone, they need you then and they don't need you in an hour. Uh, all of that is, uh, is very important uh, to be ready for if, if you're gonna get into that area of the, of the estate's work. But, uh, you know, and I won't say this because I know it, I just feel it and you, you can probably answer the question better than I can. I mean, it's gotta be more rewarding at some level. Now, look, personally, love litigating. I couldn't be happier when I'm in court. That's what I do and I love. But again, as I say, it might be just dumb luck that I do. And I'm now into my 32nd year of practice and I still love it. And I hope to touch wood if I can stay healthy, keep doing it for a long time. Uh, but uh, I really think uh, that it's a bit of an access to justice issue. And I think there's also tremendous opportunities to make an efficient estate planning practice a go. Uh, and, uh, and and therefore it gives you a lifestyle opportunity that I'm not sure litigation does uh, at the same level, but I don't regret it. I don't say to anybody, don't be an estate litigator because boy, it's been rewarding for me. So uh, I, I think it's, it can be rewarding for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I can't deny that my success is um, directly even attributed to you and Jordi Aiton, uh, your mentorship. I, I'm seriously, um, when people ask me how I built it, the answer is find a good mentor. Find people who are willing to teach, give you their time, and uh, you and Jordi appearing every week. You should continue to do it because it's immensely helpful. And uh, if people don't know already, the eState software has also been immensely helpful. Um, you know, being accurate, producing high quality documents. Um, I think every state's lawyer needs to be using some sort of software to make their practice more efficient. If they're not, like I've heard you comment, it's, it's just backwards. It's doing everybody a disservice, themselves and their clients. And uh, I really think the whole world uh, needs to be aware of such technology and adopt it because that is the future. So um, that's my answer. Find good lawyers like yourself uh, who, are, who are teaching and available and can you can uh, practically emulate. That's really the trick. You, you know, um, no one's inventing the wheel. You know, you, you mentioned the mentorship of your father. And uh, I really advise other young lawyers is to just find good lawyers and try to emulate them and develop a relationship with them. And um, that's that's how I do it. And again, I appreciate that you're one of those people and, and you should keep it up because it's it's really a great help to us all. Well, thanks, Abby. But I, I will say, though, it's it's uh, I think it's people underestimate the ability to do what you did in the sense of reaching out and using the rule, using the resources that are there as a as a tool for mentoring. Uh, you know, some people say, well, look, I don't know anyone in the area. I don't know have any clients. Well, it's all available. And it's a question of putting your head down, doing the good work product and learning who is out there and learning what resources are out there and who who and reaching out to some people some people are better at it than others in terms of their their mentoring and the sense of availability or interest in doing it so i, I appreciate your nice comments about us and we, we we pride ourselves in the mentoring work that we do but um you know i, I do think it's a, a, a an area of practice that people can build if they put their mind to it mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have a solid foundation and surround yourself by good people and you can do anything for that matter. That's right. Ian, I very appreciate your time here and your wisdom. And, uh, you know, I know we've scratched the surface, but uh, I look forward to continuing our discussion and seeing you on the, the weekly mentorship calls and, uh, you know, continuing to stay in touch. Well, thanks. I mean, this is a real thrill for me and a privilege to uh, be chatting with you and uh, always glad to see you. I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you again soon. You bet. Take care. Thank you, Ian.